listening to City Church Long Beach Sermons Podcast. You can visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. Amen. Thanks, Alex, for leading us in that song, a song I think that expresses really the heart of what we're, we're hoping here at City Church of Long Beach to be the kind of community where we get to experience new family and we get to experience together a father's love um, that makes so much room for us. We're trying to be a radically welcoming community on the journey towards Jesus, joining him in the renewal of all things. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Brenna Rubio and I'm one of the pastors here at City Church of Long Beach. And we, we're all just so glad to be here together today. And, and as Alex said, this is a space where you can bring in um, all of yourself, all of your emotions. There's actually a quote that was on my, my mind this morning uh, from an author some of you may know named Glennon Doyle. And she says this, I'm not a mess, but a deeply feeling person in a messy world. I explain that now when someone asks me why I cry so often. And I say for the same reason I laugh so often because I'm paying attention. Maybe you guys are like me. There've been a lot of emotions this last week. And so whether you are coming in um, with a lot of tears, you're coming in with a lot of laughter or just sort of like, wow, it's been a roller coaster. There is space for that. And we actually hope that you will come in paying attention this morning. That's what we actually wanna do together. There is space for that here. One of the ways that we're trying to do that in this Advent season, the season of preparation, of longing for Christmas, it's really simple, but we are inviting you to come in with a candle, a candle that you might light together, that we can light together to say like, yes, there we, we are here and we are hoping in the middle of this messy world, in the middle of all of these big emotions, we believe that there is still much to hope in. And so if you have a candle and it doesn't have to be anything special, some of you may have Advent sets, uh, but others of you, you wanna go grab that candle you know, that you keep in the bathroom for when things get a little stinky, you can get that candle too any old candle, feel free to grab. And we are gonna light it together this morning. Our friend, David Mercier is gonna lead us in that time. Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, so this season, the word faith reminds me that God is always listening. Uh, lately, I've noticed a number of things in my life that I've been praying for for years, uh, some even decade, a decade are happening. And uh, one example I wanted to share today is um, I work with an orphan ministry called the Boaz Project, and we work in Russia in a place where things are done because that's the way they've always been done. And um, I've been praying for more than a decade of ways to just grow and adapt our our reach and our um, in terms of the the number of kids and the type of kids that we work with. And this year, because of um, the pandemic, we've had to take a step back and reflect and adjust. And everybody is on board with some changes that we're um, going to be implementing soon, um, which is just an amazing blessing to me. Um, and so I wanted to share that story because, um, you know, I, I go through times in my life where I'll be praying and I don't feel like I'm being heard or I'm wondering what God's up to, and then I enter a season like this and see things that were on my mind years ago are uh, 
coming to fruition, you know, or the time is right now. So I just thought I would share that story with you um, this morning. So last week, uh, as Brenna said, we lit the candle for hope. And this week we light a candle for faith. It's my candle. <laughs> um, uh, believing that in you, God, steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Justice and peace kiss. May your faithfulness reflect brightly from our hearts and homes and communities. Everyone would light their candle with me. Thank you, David. Thanks for sharing that story. Let's pray together. We like to do that each week as we come into this time, especially thinking of the littlest ones among us, our kids. So if you have a kid next to you and you want to grab them, otherwise just visualize, bring into your mind, bring into your heart, uh, the kids who are part of your family, your neighborhood, our neighborhood here in Wrigley and Long Beach. Let's pray. God, thank you for our small ones. Thank you for our small ones um, when they have big needs and big emotions. Uh, thank you when they make us laugh. Uh, thank you when they frustrate us. Uh, thank you when they confuse us. Um, God, you have put so much into those little bodies, so much potential, so much emotion, um, so much that we get to hope in and hope for them. Would you help us um, just to be good guides? Would you help us to love them well, to listen, to slow down, to kneel down, just as you do with us? Would you help us to learn from them, to be inspired by them, to be drawn closer to you through their innocent faith? God, we need you in this time. Be so near to us now. In your name we pray. Amen. Friends, I have such a privilege this morning. Um, we have uh, just been starting uh, a new Advent series leading us up to the time of Christmas. Uh, and we are gonna focus this, this series around sticky hope up in prophecies about Jesus, particularly a theme in these prophecies about Jesus, about the coming of the Messiah that has too often been ignored in the church. And that's the, the theme that God wants to make all things right. That this is, this is God's heart towards the world. It's this heart of expansive love and justice. And, and that Jesus is actually going to embody that and, and lead us into that. And we want to say this is actually part of what our hope is rooted in, deeply rooted. And so we're so excited to be able to just dig into those prophecies together as a church. Um, this morning, you get a break from Bill and I, I know you're so excited, but more than that, we get to hear from just an amazing friend and an amazing pastor, our friend Rihanna Shaw Robinson, who, yeah, she's waving at you right here. Um, Rihanna, actually, do you want to just unmute and say hi for a second so everybody can see you? 
<laughs> this is Rihanna, and it is so amazing to have her with us. She is a pastor up in Oakland at Oakland City Church, which is a sister church for us that really inspires us in so many ways as they, they're just doing good and hard work in their community and particularly around the area of anti-racism. I remember meeting Rihanna for the first time about four years ago. I think uh, it was it was my first meeting of what we call the classes. It's this group of sister churches. And so I'd flown up to San Francisco and I just remember Rihanna being one of the first people that I got to like talk, talk with, uh, that we ended up sitting at a table for some dinner. And before you know it, we discovered all sorts of things like that we both have twins, you know, that we both thought we were gonna have kid number three and it ended up being numbers three and four you know, all together. Actually, it turned out there was another pastor at the table with that story as well. And before you knew it, all these other people like wanted to leave, like they were afraid it was catching or something. Like it was like, they wanted to like, just like get away from our table as fast as possible with this like gathering of the parents of twins. Um, but yeah, I remember talking kids and what is a woman in ministry supposed to wear? Like what's the dress code for a woman preacher? And then some really good meaty conversations around anti-racism and what does it look like to just take those steps in a congregation uh, in this just messy, challenging, but so important area. So when I think of Rihanna, I think of someone who is um, a friend on the journey and just a leader that I continually want to learn from and follow, just someone who just, wow. Um, so I am just so excited that we as a church get to learn from her and get to know her a little bit more today. So Rihanna, thank you so, so much for being here with us. Before I let Rihanna take it away, our friend Sam Yu, he is going to read the scripture for us this morning just to launch us in on this, this area of prophecy. Here is uh, Jeremiah 23 verses 1 through 6. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, so, uh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel concerning the shepherds who shepherd my people. It is you who have scattered my flock and have driven them away and you have not attended to them. So I will attend to you for your evil doings, says the Lord. Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the lands where I have driven them and I will bring them back to their fold and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will raise up shepherds over them who will shepherd them and they shall not fear any longer or be dismayed, nor shall any be missing, says the Lord. The righteous branch of David. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. People of God, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Rihanna. Good morning, friends. Y'all are cute. 
Like I'm kind of scrolling through. Yeah, you know you are. Some of y'all are grinning and some of y'all are giving me your like three quarter profile. You're like doing the whole night. Good lighting. Does everybody have a ring light in your community? Is that a part of the way that y'all do Zoom together? I love it. Um, so I'm super excited to be with y'all today. Um, and if many of you saw kind of the announcement that Bill made on uh, Facebook or on Instagram, uh, I think he grabbed that photo off Facebook. That's cool, Bill. I see how it is. Um, but I am wearing basically the same outfit. So this is my favorite shirt. I met God. She's black. Uh, this is a good conversation starter. You can decide if people are into you or if they think you're a heretic. So, hi, I'm here. We can figure out what kind of friends we're gonna be. Um, so thank you, Brenna. Thank you, Bill, for the introduction. Uh, just to share a little bit more about me and who I am. As Brenna said, I am a mama of four. My oldest is 21. My son is nine, and then my twins, a boy and a girl, are three and a half. Uh, Noel, Cinco, uh, Lena, and Langston is my crew. I am a Bay Area native. What, what? Um, East Bay, anybody? Are you guys all SoCal people? That's okay. Just come visit here one day. <laughs> It'll be nice. Um, I know that y'all do Enneagram. I'm not telling you what mine is because I don't want y'all to judge me. Um, so maybe that gives you a hint of what mine might be. Uh, in this season, of, people are like, yep, wow, you're not supposed to type other people. Just, you're not supposed to type other people. You're supposed to let them type themselves. Um, in this season of COVID, which is real, um, I'll tell you what is getting me through that. Uh, Forged in Fire, which is a knife-making show on the History Channel, which I like very much. Um, Earwax removals on YouTube, any other poppers? Some people are like, yep, you know what I'm talking about. It soothes your soul. Um, and ramen. Like ramen is helping me make it through the shelter in place and distance learning and all of those things. Uh, some of my favorite theologians are Howard Thurman. He is magical and amazing. Uh, M. Sean Copeland breaks my brain and opens up Jesus and God in holy new ways. And my sweet little children who are constantly um, teaching me more about who God is, who are inviting me to know the grace of God as they demand all the grace. Um, if you have small children, you know what I'm talking about. So um, Brenna talked about when I met her, but actually I met Bill at my very first classes meeting. Um, and y'all, if you've never been to one, it is an interesting experience. Unlike any experience I think I have ever had in my life, um, I had just left my nonprofit job. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna go work at a church. I'm gonna start this process. And uh, I walked into a room with probably about 60 or 70 men, mostly white men. And I was just like, whoa, am I really welcome here? Is this really the people that I wanna cast my lot with? Will they hold me? And it was so sweet. It was a Thursday evening. I remember at dinner time and Bill ran up to me. He's like, hey, 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 I want to show you something. And he shows me a reminder on his phone uh, that he had set to pray for the church that I used to attend. And I can tell you, I felt so seen. I felt so known. I felt like God had really been preparing a place um, as God uh, was showing me that Bill had been praying for me uh, before he knew me. Um, and then since then, uh, Bill's been asking since then for about five years for me to come and preach for y'all. 
uh, the persistent widow is real and it works. And so I am grateful uh, that Bill has been persistent. And I'm also grateful for this weird way of a shelter in place, right? That allows us to be together, even while y'all are in SoCal and I am up here. So um, thank you for welcoming me. And I am excited to get to be with y'all as a, as a fellow member of the body of Christ. So friends, um, actually, can we just pray together as I kind of dig into scripture? We'll do a quick prayer and then I'll start talking about stuff. Um, most holy God, um, wow, wow. The way that you weave us together, the ways that you invite us to know family that we haven't met yet, the ways that you work continuing to speak to us, that you are continuing to remind us that you are listening and that you know our name. So God, as we dig into the text today, um, thank you. Thank you for the words of the prophet. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and thank you for the promises uh, that you have in store for us. We are listening to you. Amen. So friends, uh, this Advent series, um, I love Advent. Um, and I don't know, COVID has changed the way that we love everything. Um, it feels usually like this time of preparation and expectation, but it feels a little weird this season. I miss my people. I miss the families together lighting candles and um, I have a longing for that. But I'm also so aware of the ways that rhythms and rituals carry us and keep us grounded in these uncertain times. So even though Advent feels different, Advent is still a reminder, it is still an invitation uh, to remember God's faithfulness, to remember God's promises, to remember God's power, not only to exceed our expectations, because we know that God does that, but also to kind of jack up our expectations, to show up in ways beyond <laughs> what we could have imagined. Sometimes in ways we're like, really? Okay, um, but you are faithful, God. And as I think of us on this Sunday of faith, um, and thank you so much. I, I remember you told the story about the orphanage, but I wanna say what your name is, but now I can't find you to say- David. Thank you, David, for leading us in the candle. I was like, ooh, way to lead into my sermon, David. Um, but to talk about what faith is. And for me, this is everything, right? Um, the church that Bill was praying for uh, was called Faith Presbyterian, actually. That's where I grew up, in a church called Faith. And I had a friend recently who was like, what is faith? But don't use scripture or any Jesus language. And I was like, oh, okay, that changes everything. And for me, the phrase that just came is that it is a humble expectation. It's a recognition of who I am. It's a recognition of who God is. And again, it's that promise that God is always listening and preparing us to receive how God will respond. And I want to tell you about some of the examples of faith that I've had in my life. Uh, my mom's mom, we called her Grandmama, um, which sounds very fancy. She's from um, Watts, California. She was a teen mom. Uh, she was in an abusive relationship and ended up finding the love of her life, seven babies. Uh, my other grandmother, Grandma Joan, um, is from Gary, Indiana, uh, also a teen mom, also in a hard relationship. Uh, she's currently in an assisted living 
facility uh, dealing with dementia. And those are my examples of faith. Um, Grandma could cuss like a sailor. And anyone who came to her house, she'd be like, welcome. Would you like to drink with me? And then we have photos of everyone in our family just like asleep on the bed as she giggles over them because she would drink everyone under the table. Um, she would curse things out to find them, literally curse things out. Grandma Joan, on the other hand, is much more pious. She prays things out and she just calls on the Lord to illuminate the thing that she has lost. Um, she doesn't swear. She is really sweet. But both of these women showed me what faith looked like. Grandma's faith and Grandma Joan's faith came out of struggle came out of real life situations where they saw God showing up for them, where they knew God was listening, where they knew that they actually didn't have a lot of power over their own life circumstances and needed God to show up. And so friends, that's my examples of faith. And maybe you have those folks in your life who passed down the gift of faith. And I'll just share a poem um, with y'all by, by Lucille Clifton, which felt like it embodied um, this faith of my grandma's. And the poem is called Celebrate. Won't you celebrate with me what I have shaped into a kind of life? I had no model, born in Babylon, both non-white and woman. What did I see to be except myself? I made it up here on this bridge between starshine and my one hand holding tight to my other hand. Come celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and has failed. Friends, that is faith. It is a cause of praise. It is a space for lament. And it is a recognition that God keeps saving us wherever we are. And so um, as we dig into this text in Jeremiah today, um, I was hearkened back to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, that tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith, our ancestors received approval. And when I look at this text from Jeremiah, what I see is a gift from our ancestors, a testament to the faith that has held people in and through and beyond uh, the hard times that they have found themselves in. So when I look at the words of Jeremiah, I hear uh, words of judgment, words of justice, words of salvation that invite us to reflect on the faith that the dark past has taught us. And for some of y'all that line may feel um, familiar um, because it's from the Negro National Anthem, Lift Every Voice and Sing. And so I want to invite us actually to listen together, um, that we might be inspired as we dig into the text. Civil rights activist James Weldon Johnson wrote Lift Every Voice and Sing as a poem, which was set to music by his brother John Roseman Johnson in 1899. The song is now known as the Black National Anthem in America. It is a protest, a hymn, and a prayer of profound significance for our people. 
We lift every voice and sing to express ourselves. We lift every voice to show that we have strength in numbers and we will not be silent. We lift every voice and sing to be lifted, liberated, and free. Freedom, the power to determine action without restraint. Freedom, the absence of or release from ties, obligations, or restrictions. Freedom, the ease or facility of movement or action. Freedom, frankness or boldness in manner or speech. Freedom, a political right. Until we are all free, none of us is free. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. Lift every voice and sing Till earth and heaven ring Ring with the harmonies
uh, my dad made me learn all three verses of that song, uh, probably with my first words. It was his gift to me to remember and to have hope. And similar to the words of the prophet, similar to our holy scriptures, we see the ways that faith is passed down to us through remembering and through our song. <sighs> All right, do y'all want to take a deep breath with me? Because I feel like it's good. Let it settle in your soul. That's a good word. And so after we hear that prophetic song, let us move to the prophet uh, Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah is my guy. I love him. Uh, I resonate with his early response to being called, really, me? I'm too young. Um, I found myself on the elder board when I was about 22 as the young person. Everybody else was like 70. I saw some of your elders. They look way younger. That's awesome. Very important. Um, but I resonate also with him because he's also a little critical. He's a little bossy. He has these moments where he's like, why isn't anyone listening to me? Why can't anyone see? I'm trying to help them. And so he laments. And every time he says these hard things to community, I know he feels it in himself. He is not someone who is standing far off and telling people, what to do. Actually, when the people of Israel end up in exile, Jeremiah is in exile too. He feels the pain with his folks. And he's writing this from Egypt. And yet in the midst of it, he is constantly saying, listen, be humble, get ready. God is coming. Jeremiah does these beautiful things where he pulls from the past and he says, remember what God told us to do. Remember the ways that God was faithful. We need to change our behavior and God is still coming for us. So he does this thing where he pulls from the past and he invites people to notice and to remember what God will do in the future. One of the commentaries that I said, so the theme of the book of Jeremiah is the God who can and dis does destroy Judah for its rejection of God, this God of judgment, and its abuse of marginalized one is the same God that can work for a new thing in those same people. The God of judgment is also the God of salvation who brings us on that journey. What Jeremiah keeps telling people is, I know it's hard. I know it's awful. I know we are lonely and separate and far from home, and we miss our rituals and our rhythms and our community. And God is still listening. And God will save us. And so I feel like the passage today, I said, uh, faith and the call of the prophets is to listen, be humble, get ready. This is Jeremiah saying, get ready. God is coming in the fullness of God's judgment and also the fullness of God's salvation. So as we get started, I want to ask y'all a question that you can, I don't know, you can answer however you see fit in the chat. Um, how do you feel about being called sheep? And I'll pause and I'll let you decide, let that settle in. How do you feel about being called sheep? 
know some people are ready to answer i'm seeing love it nice depends on the context okay Is there a head sheep? <laughs> I like that. Do you want to be the head sheep? Are you good with being the sheep if you're in charge of the sheep? Compliment and an insult. <laughs> Carried her in with the stick. Y'all are good. Yeah. We have some feels about that. I love that someone's like, yes, I am a sheep. And I support that. That's good. And other people are like, oh, it feels a little bit complicated. And I think for us, especially in our context, we've been taught so much that, that our lives are about self-sufficiency, right? That we are individuals and we decide what we want to do and we move in the way that we want to move and we build things for ourselves. You know what then happens? A global pandemic. <laughs> and then we are reminded of all of the ways that we are totally and completely out of control. That our best intentions can only get us so far. And also that we are so profoundly connected to the people around us that we can't make decisions without them, without impacting them. And their decisions impact us probably more than we want. So whether we like it or not, maybe we are sheep. And in these ways where we want to um, be our own people, we also still, as our sheeply selves are like, but who's going to lead us? I love that someone says, is there a head sheep? Is there a leader? Am I in charge? If I can be in charge, I'm totally cool with being a sheep. But we are constantly saying, I want to be in charge, but I also want somebody else to kind of really be in charge, to be the one that I can blame when things go wrong, that the one that I can look to and be like, will you be the one that saves me while I maybe sit here and wait and hope? And we see so many examples, and this is what Jeremiah is saying, like, hey, those leaders have let you down. They're not just bad leaders. They're like the worst leader. They're allowing people to go missing. They're forgetting about people. They are causing harm. And in so many ways, their exile is caused because their leaders didn't do what they were supposed to be doing. And so we keep looking to leaders to save us. <laughs> But maybe what we really should be looking for is a shepherd. The one that is committed to our protection and our guidance and continues to remind us that we exist in community and for community. And I think it's helpful to kind of accept ourselves in our sheeply situations because God loves sheep. <laughs> God very rarely picks the ones who are supposed to be powerful in the sight of the world to move God's power and wisdom and intention for the world. Yeah? Like we see this particular example of Jeremiah. I love um, someone like, he's just so whiny and he's so weepy and he has a mother's heart and he's not like. It was bad. They just bagged hard on Jeremiah. And yet God said, you are the one who needs to tell my people again that I am coming to save them. And so as we think about ourselves as sheep and we think about the leaders that we want, I guess the question is, um, whose leadership are we looking to in this moment? Who are we looking to to save us, to help us, to come and free us. 
are we looking to the folks um, who we always look to? Um, to be perfectly honest, are we looking to powerful white men to be the ones to save us? I am grateful uh, that we are having a new administration coming in. And it also looks pretty similar to past administrations that we've had before that have been helpful in some ways, but haven't saved us in the ways that we are hoping that have left many of us to go missing that have uh, dishonored our siblings in so many ways. So who are we looking for? And maybe the suggestion that I'm offering is rather than looking to the places of power, we look to those who are a little bit more humble, who are showing us a humble faith that is grounded on following God rather than following their own self-interest or following um, the other leaders of the time who are willing to speak truth to power with shaky voices, um, knowing that it's not about them, but actually about the work that God is doing. And perhaps we're also called uh, to follow our ancestors in this moment. Rather than looking forward and looking around us, we should be looking to the past, to the people who have survived, to the people who have endured, to the people who can actually speak to God's faithfulness and the ways that God shows up in power and righteousness and justice. Maybe we are sheep and should be following other sheep, but really what we should be following is the good shepherd. And God tells us who that shepherd is and what that shepherd looks like. All right, so we talked about how we felt about being sheep. How do y'all feel about judgment? Anybody? That's a better question, right? How do we feel about judgment? Real question uh, for some insights in the chat haunted by it yeah <laughs> yep yikes for sure for sure so much church trauma around judgment anybody else someone loved being a sheep is there anybody who loves judgment you can just you don't have to put in the chat you can raise your hand and i'll like scroll through to see Okay, that's all right, folks. Any type ones, great. Ooh, I, why are you calling me out, Brenna? Yes, I, I, both, I both love the judgment and it is real and I am afraid of it. But I think um, what we are seeing is that one, judgment feels a little complicated, right? We feel the weight of it. We know that it matters. We know that there are things that we are doing in our lives that probably require some judgment, that judgment is not uh, misplaced. And when we read about kind of in this passage, the judgment is going on the leaders. Yes. And my question for us is, can we also sit under the judgment that perhaps we do deserve? Not the icky judgment that like the church people tell you, like you're just gonna go to hell. Like that, that's another thing that we can hold on. But the places where we fall short, the places where we are not good shepherds, the places where we are not good leaders, the places where we are not actively thinking about our community. 
willing to let people go while we keep moving ahead. The places where we actually don't hold our leaders accountable. Are we willing to feel and sit under some of that, knowing that it is actually a part of the process towards our salvation and redemption? It's the way that God carries us all the way through it. And it's interesting, verse 23 says, you know, woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pastor, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who shepherd my people, it is you who have scattered my flock and have driven them away and have not attended to them. So I will attend to you for your evil doing, says the Lord. We do serve a God of judgment because that God is noticing the ways that people are leading and living outside of the intention that God has. The one for mercy and for care and for justice and for love and community. And God says, I, I'm not just listening to the cries of my people. I am listening and noticing the ways that they are not being cared for as they should. And as much as we would want to put all of that responsibility on those in charge, we have to hold some of that for ourselves as well. That whether whatever leadership position in our lives, in our family, in our work, God is also calling us to be good shepherds, to be humble, and to be following God's uh, direction for how we are to be. I think about this, and I think about um, the ways as leaders we forget where we've come. And that was a thing that my dad would say to me all the time. Remember where you come from. That's why we had to listen to lift every voice and sing. Remember where you come from. And sometimes when we remember, we make ourselves, uh, what is it? The heroes of our stories, the heroines of our stories, the winners of our stories. Rather than going, yeah, I know God, that was totally God. <laughs> God totally got me out of that situation. God was my deliverer in that situation. And so when I lead, I should be leading out of that humility, that God is the one who shows up to save us. And I think because we create in our minds that we're the winners, sometimes when we do that work of justice, we think that we're the ones doing the work of justice, right? That if we try hard, that if we say the right things, if we have the right values, if we have the right principles, if we tick off all of the right boxes, we will be the ones who will bring justice into the world. Yes, we are most definitely God's hands and feet in the world. But the ultimate bringer of justice and salvation is not us. It's God. And how are we called to respond and listen and live into that truth with the humble expectation that God will use us wherever we are and then will exceed our expectations for the type of community that God intends for us. And so what do we get? What do we get at the end of the story where God says, um, I want to keep telling you the story about how I've shown up for you, the desire that I have for you, 
the ways that I will both hold you accountable to the decisions that you made and the decisions that you haven't made, but ultimately that I will be the one who will save you again and again and again and again. And so we get to the final bit of this passage, um, verse 5, that tells us what the promise is, that tells us what we should be waiting for, what we can expect even in the midst of things being so hard and so uncertain and seeming like maybe they're at the end. And it says, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And in his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Um, digging into the text a little bit, it's a little, um, scriptures full of puns and things of that nature. So the Lord is our righteousness. Uh, the king, the most recent king before folks went into exile was uh, Zedekiah. And his name meant the Lord is righteousness. And the folks still ended up in exile. <laughs> he was not, he was one of those woe to you shepherds. And God says, yeah, I want to give you the real ones. The ones who bring real righteousness, not just in name, that don't just add it on to their title as leader because it thinks they think it'll help more people to follow them. Do we know those folks who throw a little faith language on their leadership and they're like, look, I must be anointed because faith language, because I added a little scripture in this speech. And so now really I must be the one. And then they disappoint us again and again. And God says, no, no, no. The one that I am bringing, the one that I am calling, the one who is the manifestation of the faith of his ancestors that everyone has been waiting for is our righteousness. It's not to be held in one person, but actually to be offered into community. And friends, they're talking about Jesus, who is this branch of David this shoot that comes out of a stump that seems to be totally destroyed, that everything is done and yet this new life shows up in that way. So Jesus is both the manifestation of the faith of his ancestors and then he's shaped by the faith of his ancestors. That's what he was taught in. And he points us to the ways that God keeps showing up and showing up and showing up and showing up. And as we think um, about righteousness and justice, and as Brenna said, God creating the world that God intended, the world that was interconnected, the world that was vehemently good, that was filled with shalom, where no one was missing, where everyone understood that they needed their siblings to survive, and that they had something to offer to the survival of their siblings. That's the promise of what righteousness is. And Jesus Christ becomes our righteousness for us, inviting us into this promise. And righteousness is connected to our faith. We read back in Hebrews. It's our ancestors' faith that made them righteous in the sight of God, that they believed what God was saying and what God was doing. 
And then the word that I saw that felt um, as I was struggling with this, full disclosure, trying to get to hope in sermons in this season has been really hard. <laughs> and I'm not one that's like toxic positivity of like, well, Jesus is coming, so it's cool. Um, yes, Jesus is coming. That is amazing. You know, Jeremiah says Jesus is coming. And then there were many, many more generations until Jesus finally showed up. And there were also many more situations where God showed up first, right? God saves them in this moment. And then God has to save them again because we wander and we need to be brought back. And God keeps showing up. So I'm just going to name the struggle to name the hope in this. Yes, Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our righteousness. The call for justice is real. And a part of this faith is a little bit of, um, again, those humble expectations that we, we, we um, recognize the hardness of where we are, the limits of our capacity, and we hold on to the promise that God is listening, that God will keep showing up. And that also uh, the faith of our ancestors is not only in the past. I love that in this moment in Jeremiah, God shows up for them. And if you look, if you were to go to verse seven, it says um, that the Lord's not only saying, you know, yeah, remember exile. I brought you out of exile. I brought you out of exile. But now this is your story that you get to then pass on to your children. So what is the story of faith that we get to pass on to the next generation? What is the faith that we are offering um, to our children, to our community? With our ultimate hope in Jesus, knowing that Jesus will come again, that God keeps showing up for us, but also that we are called to be the ancestors to the next generation, to point them towards God's faithfulness, to point them towards Jesus' justice and commitment to community and commitment to love and shalom and to invite them to stay on the journey even when it gets hard, even when it feels impossible, knowing that our faith is a gift from the next generation. So friends, thank you. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for your smiling faces, for your answers to the questions. Um, thank you for letting me show up in the fullness of the struggle of this moment and then to share some of that and also the hope, uh, also some stories.